as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, have you experienced failure? What was that like if you have, and can you give us any details? My husband and I own a trucking company and we failed. And I think we failed with understanding how it is managing our people. And it was hard. And I feel like having that experience, I would now say that you should fail more. When you first start a business, you don't know if it's going to succeed for the first year. Like you hoping and praying and putting holy water on your forehead every night, but you don't know if it's going to work. I think failure allows you to determine whether entrepreneurship is for you. You fail, you learn, you get up. So I feel like I'm one of those people that have mental health struggles. And so having to deal with that on top of rejection, it's kind of hard to explain to other people like how deeply that affects you. Self-care is very important. Yeah, I failed a bunch of times. Uh, this is probably the fourth company I've started. When you're working with people, that can be some of the best times and it can be some of the worst times when you have this vision and then you put together this team and you believe that this team is going to take you to the next level, but then people quit on you. You feel like you, they quit on your family, they quit on your business, they quit on everything that you, know, that you guys have built together. Success. Every small business owner wants success, but success comes at a price, and oftentimes that price is failure. So that's what we'll be talking about today, failure. I'm Darby Masters, and you're listening to I Make a Living. The statistics aren't too friendly when it comes to the longevity of small businesses. Nearly 50% fail at the five-year mark. But how does knowing this statistic help you? Most people can talk about failure ethereally. Hardships build character, you can't succeed without failing, you know, those kinds of phrases. But when it comes to us, you specifically failing, you don't want to. And oftentimes, we do everything in our power to avoid thinking about the possibility of it. But accepting that failure on some level happens, that can actually be one of the best things you can do as an entrepreneur. If you know that failing is a part of the journey, you can prepare yourself for it. It's the unknown that makes even the consideration of failure unfathomable. It's like a kid. They're not scared of their bedroom in the light. They're scared of their bedroom in the dark. So it might even be fair to say the kid is not scared of their bedroom at all. They're scared of the dark. So today, we're going to turn on the light, so to speak. We're talking about failure in all its glory. I had a childhood local rollerblade delivery service for Lincolnwood, Illinois, which it didn't, it didn't hit. I did have a beat poetry book that me and my friend Josh wrote when we were teenagers called Pure Truth, and that was a huge success. <laughs> this is Sam Rosen, and he, well, he's a business owner. Uh, when people ask me what I do, I tell them I'm a designer, but that's not an accurate description to what I actually do. It's a test to see if they care. <laughs> what he actually does is he runs a few companies. He has a business called Despass, which is a monthly membership to co-working spaces. And he's a partner and founder of a design firm called OneDesign that does branding and web design. We decided to chat with him because, as you can tell, he's very down to earth. He's pretty open about the failures that have led to where he's at now. Have you ever started a business that didn't make it? Uh, yeah, lots. Some of the best of hits, we had a 
company called One Law Company, which was to build websites for lawyers. What could go wrong? <laughs> um, that didn't work. You know, I have had other businesses related to co-working. Like I had a business called Desktime, which is a software to manage co-working spaces. The sort of failure of building that software gave us all the lessons we need to build DeskPass, which is working. And working, it is. DeskPass gives you access to over 300 co-working locations and is available in nine major cities across America. I'd say they're doing pretty well for themselves. In addition to Sam, we also talked to Michelle Horton, who's a licensed therapist in San Francisco. We reached out to her because she specializes in therapy for entrepreneurs. Before she became a therapist, she worked in the startup world, and that's where she saw the unique type of support that founders and entrepreneurs really needed. We brought her into this conversation because the roadblocks many of us experience concerning failure are mental roadblocks, which brings up the conversation of mental health, which is the reason having a therapist in this discussion is quite helpful. Mental health is such an important thing to consider as an entrepreneur that your mindset, your mental wellness, that it impacts so much of who you are and what you do. And so that therapy and seeing a therapist isn't saying that something's wrong. But I think oftentimes that therapy can be a way to support your mental health and allow you to be able to be your best self as a person and as an entrepreneur. And so I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of like, fear out there around what is therapy and what's it going to be like? And, you know, I don't really need that or my problems aren't that big, but I think really looking at therapy can benefit anyone and that a therapist is a person that can be a support and kind of collaborate alongside of you and be a part of your team. That's helping you really kind of dig in and look at these different challenges as they come up. According to a survey cited by Psychology Today, 25% of adults name stigma or society's attitude towards mental health as the primary reason they don't go to therapy. Michelle is right. There is a stigma around therapy and mental health, but the need for mental health is just as real as your physical health. It's easier to bypass because technically you can't see problems as tangibly in your mental health, but that doesn't negate the necessity of being healthy mentally. If you have a broken bone, that you're not just going to ignore it, right? That that would lead to it healing in the wrong way, that it would be really painful, that it could be, you know, something that would on an ongoing way continue to hurt you. And so I think thinking and taking mental health as seriously as we do physical health. And, you know, I think sometimes people can think, well, mental health, like that's not real. It's just a mindset and really realizing that our mental health is so connected to our physical health that, you know, with the kind of amazing research that's happening around the brain and our neurobiology of really seeing 
how connected we are from a physical and mental perspective. Unlike a few decades ago, nowadays there is a lot of research and science to back up the necessity of mental health. So legitimizing the existence of mental health seems redundant and not how we're going to structure today's episode. Instead, we're going to talk about failure and hardship, understanding that mental health is a part of the conversation. We'll highlight just a few mental roadblocks that hinder people from moving past failure, or at least the fear of it. So let's get back to Sam and his story. I've had really trying moments in my career, typically around investors or external capital. I had somebody come in my business that was going to invest a bunch of money into it and like change all of our lives. And that guy ended up being a crook and that money didn't show up. And we were relying on it. It was a comedy of errors. And in hindsight, you know, you learn a lot. But there was a moment in my career where I really thought I couldn't make payroll for money that was promised. I couldn't move on. And that was a a real trying moment. It was really interesting for me in that moment because what I learned was I had built relationships with the people that I worked with over a really long time. At that point, like eight, nine years. And they were good relationships and they were meaning, they were honest relationships. And in that moment where I thought I lost everything, I was reminded how if you make good investments and real investments in people and treat people well and take care of them, they'll take care of you. Sam's perspective, his outlook, was incredibly positive. His focus was on what he learned from the situation, which was that investing in relationships, investing in people, was important to him. I think being able to look back and see, you know, are there things that you learned or took from it, you know, that maybe it feels like, yes, a failure happened, but what went right, what success was also a part of that in terms of all right, well, maybe it was just that you showed up and that you tried, and that was a win in and of itself. There is something to being positive and looking for the bits of success you've had in the midst of failure. Learning from failure is oftentimes the advice we're given from motivational speakers and some of our most admired entrepreneurs. It's good advice and really helpful moving from a place of failure to a place of success. But what might not be as widely accepted or practiced is acknowledging that something has failed. This is an important part of the process. Do failure and success go hand in hand? Can they benefit one another? The, yeah, I, th- that's that's it. That's the whole thing, I think. I think you solved it, Darby. <laughs> no, being sensitive enough and smart enough to recognize failure. So let's step back. Not everyone's good at failure. This is com- like everyone, like cheesy entrepreneur stuff, but like you can't succeed without failure. You can't learn what to do right if you don't do something wrong. The opposite is doing nothing at all and, you know, paralyzing. It's like it takes a long time to figure things out and unless you know something I don't know, and even if you do, it's going to take you a bunch of iterations to get there. And the only way to figure it out is to fail. Some people don't listen. Some people don't recognize this failed. They can't acknowledge that I failed and they're paralyzed because if you can't recognize you failed, you can't succeed, right? So, like... You're paralyzed if if failure stops you from trying again. And if you can embrace it, it's your best tool. Because if I'm best at anything, I'm best at failing. I really am. And I'm not, like, as scared to do it as other people because if I don't put it out there, then it's 
I'm not going to know, or it's not going to, I'm not going to know the answer. And if I figure out the answer, I'll know it next time and we'll make that mistake. But like, that's how, I have two kids at home, like, that's how they figure it out how to do things. They fail. They don't, like, they didn't figure out how to walk by just like standing up and walking one day. They keep falling a lot, you know? And that's how they figure it out. And that's how we all figure everything out. And even business and even entrepreneurship and building a web app. It's like through falling a lot, but then getting back up. It's okay to be upfront with yourself and say, this thing failed. And not being scared of failure or the fear that failure happened. I think not having to avoid naming it as failure, that it is okay to say that you failed at something. Acknowledging that failure has happened is a crucial step to moving past it. But how you talk about the failure is really important because there actually are really unhelpful ways to view it. I think there's a really big difference between saying I have failed and I'm a failure. I think the I'm a failure is really kind of internalizing and taking on that message that there's, I think, a lot of shame associated with that versus saying that I have failed at something means you showed up, you took a risk and you failed or something didn't go the right way. And that's, I think, a really different kind of reframe versus taking on the feeling of I am a failure and internalizing what didn't go well. Originally, Sam did internalize failure, but his perspective changed because of the people that he surrounded himself with. And I think like in the moment of like the deepest despair for me as an entrepreneur who's so wrapped up in my company, it was actually this really trying moment because at the end of the day, where I thought I like personally had failed, like I realized like this support system that I had helped cultivate and I'm part of was able to like help me up and hold me through and see me out. And I didn't recognize the value of that or that existed until like being at the precipice of death. (laughs) At the end of the day, when you acknowledge that failure has happened and your perspective of failure isn't tied to your identity, so saying I have failed rather than I am a failure, you can begin acknowledging positive aspects of your character, which showed up in the midst of failure. Part of being an entrepreneur is experiencing failure. And so looking at failure as evidence of you were trying, you were showing up, you were taking big risks, and maybe something didn't meet expectations, but that that's okay, that that doesn't reflect on you as a person or as an entrepreneur. Seeing failure from this lens may feel a little uncomfortable because entrepreneurs, founders, business owners, we're all go-getters and we're usually the hardest on ourselves. So in the face of failure, to affirm yourself for showing up and your ability to take risks, that just sounds not only odd, but maybe a little over the top at least until you start to dissect it and realize that might be exactly how you treat a friend in a moment of crisis. If we were to voice out loud, what are we thinking to ourselves? And that oftentimes that it's so harsh, that our inner critic is so strong when someone's saying, well, I don't deserve this or gosh, I I messed up and I just, I need to punish myself right now. Or gosh, I'm what, what, you know, I'm such an idiot. And I think, you know, self-compassion is that idea of like, what would we tell a friend in the same situation? And oftentimes 
there is a huge difference in what we would tell another person, right? The tone and the language and that we would even, you know, if it was a friend, maybe give them a hug or, you know, a pat on the back or something like that. And I think when we compare that to what is the language that we're using with ourselves, that there's a huge gap. Having empathy and compassion is pretty standard when interacting with those we love, but to extend that to ourselves seems a bit strange. It shouldn't be, though. The empathy we show others helps them know whether they succeed or fail, they'll still be loved. So the fear of failing is a lot less daunting because if you do fail, it's okay. Nothing's changed. You're still you. But that begs the question, who are you? What are your values? Because if you know what your values are, then you can take risks in alignment with your value system and know that if you fail, it's okay. Your values are still intact. I've never been great at working for people. I've never, I like collaborating with people. So I've always, you know, defined entrepreneurism and just personal success to be able to do what I want you know, and and spend my days more or less how I enjoy them and have the freedom and flexibility to, like, enjoy life. That's a hard thing to do even, you know, as an independent entrepreneur. So, you know, I really love the Steve Jobs quote of, you know, you're going to wake up, you're going to look yourself, not an exact quote, you know, wake up, you're going to look yourself in the mirror and, you know, you want to see, like, do I like who I am and do I look like what I'm doing today? And some days you're going to look in the mirror and be like, no, this is not, I don't. <laughs> and that's okay. That's life, right? But most days you want to get up there and look and be like, yeah, this is cool. This, You know, I, I get to do interesting things today. But I most certainly have days I look in the mirror and say, this sucks. <laughs> if you looked in the mirror every morning and asked this question, what would be your answer? Do you like who you are and what you're doing? Like Sam said, it's okay to say no. Be honest, that's important. But if that's your answer and you truly want to do the work it takes for it to be a yes, the next question to ask yourself would be, why is it a no? I think it is really important to identify what are your core values. What's your why? Why are you doing this? Why are you an entrepreneur? Why did you start this company? And so I think being able to identify you know, what are your three to five core values? And I think it's really important to say there's no right or wrong core values, but everyone has different ones. And so really understanding what yours are and then being able to bring that back to the mission of why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you an entrepreneur? Why are you taking this risk? And what makes it so important to show up in this way? If you can be honest with yourself and truly understand why you want the things that you want, then you have a path to take. The path might not be easy, and it may be riddled with failures, but it's a win to know you're on the path that you want to be on. So identifying your core values is one of the first steps you can take when facing failure, because failure isn't who you are. It's what you do. If you can identify the values that make up who you are, facing failure and taking risks become a lot less overwhelming because it's no longer tied to your identity. You're able to take the risk because your values are never on the line, right? If you're acting in alignment with your values, that you can take a step forward and saying, even if I failed, I'm still fulfilling and I'm connected to my values and that's what's most important. 
The goal of this episode is to understand a few of the mental roadblocks you might have when it comes to failure. Recognizing that failing isn't tied to your identity is a pretty basic one, but not always so clearly articulated. Starting my businesses, becoming a business, you know, like an entrepreneur, happened extremely organically for me. One little business failure at a time. And most of it's failure. And then some things started to work. And then those things start to work. And you don't think like, I never thought like, oh, it's working now. I could fail harder. And I always think of it of like trying to fly a plane, like with a pedal, like where you're pedaling and you're pedaling faster and faster and faster and faster and you're getting off ground. And you're like, holy crap, we're off the ground. We're flying and you're flying and you're like, okay, well, okay. If we fall, it's not that far. My parents have a nice net. Like, we'll be fine, right? And they're like, cool, keep paddling. Paddle, 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 paddle. But you're not thinking like... And they're like, oh, we're high. Like, if we fall, that net is not going to help. Like, we're going to crash. That's where the fear of failure really sets in. I feel more of it today where I think I've had more success than I've ever had in my life. And I feel more of the fright, you know, being frightened of failure because the crash is, would be a lot further. But, like, the only reason I'm flying is because I was ignorant <laughs> and I just risk, like, tolerant and said, who cares, I might fall. So I think that's part of it is being comfortable with making mistakes and breaking and things not working and knowing that, like, you're resilient enough as a human and you're, hopefully your family and your community is resilient enough to, like, hold you and pick you up. I think it gets harder as you get older or your business gets bigger. So, you know, for One Design, One Design has, like, 30-plus employees, right? Before I ever had a mortgage or a family, like, which scared the heck out of me, I realized there are, like, many children and mortgages that are supported by this business we created, right? Like, it's just like you have to get there to fall. And, like, if you don't take the risk, then you're not going to support anybody at all. So, I don't know. I think about failing early differently than I think about how it would feel today. But I also kind of go back to this idea that, like, I have good roots and good family. And if I fell really far, then I just... My wife and my children and my mom and my dad and my brothers and my friends would still love me. And I just maybe do something easier for a while. <laughs> I don't think we can talk about failure without talking about vulnerability. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge, that it feels scary or it feels overly emotional or sensitive. But I think the vulnerability is real. And so I think really digging into what does vulnerability mean? What is your history and experience with vulnerability? And how do you accept and take on vulnerability as a part of entrepreneurship? Sam does this. He's vulnerable. It was incredibly refreshing to chat with him about his past experience and also his present experience because he was so open about everything. There's so much power in being able to name and acknowledge the emotion that you're feeling and being able to say that, yeah, this is really scary. It feels like a big step that I'm feeling a lot of fear and not shying away from that emotion, right? That that emotion is part of um, 
you know, what's fueling you and is inherently a part of what you are doing. And so not avoiding the emotion, but just naming it. And I think that gives you some level of control and power over what you're feeling. When it comes to being vulnerable, our knee-jerk reaction is to not be. Sharing with others insecurities, fears, and failures sounds like a terrible idea. And it's because we want some type of control over what people think of us. But what's not as easily understood is protecting those things, doing all you can to hide them, is what controls you. Recognizing that all people have insecurities, fears, and failures frees you up to say, oh yeah, me too. Because the reality is, all people do struggle with these things, and it's not that big of a deal. So in saying it, I have failed, or I can fail, it loses the control it once had on you, and you end up being empowered by naming it. I think as you gain success and you gain perspective, you can have like this hindsight bias and look back and laugh at all your failures, right? But at the time, it's much harder to do that. My partners and I like really like, we've been at this for a long time, and we try a lot of things, and it's much more apparent in hindsight the successes and the failures and the good decisions and the bad decisions. But during them, close to them, it's much harder to read them and feel them. So the fact it as a whole that we, like for one design, we're 14 years old, for... My desk pass business, I've been working on coring for eight years. The fact that we're still here and making mistakes can give you some perspective on and recognize, like, we're going to make mistakes and just got to keep going. I'm glad we kept going. I'm glad we didn't give up. I'm glad we didn't let that guy, like, shut us down. Uh, you know, like, that's the stuff it's affirming because you're like, hey, it was worth it. Hey, we got here. That's so cool. So the perspective really helps. Sam talks about failure so casually, but I think this is the reason why he's still in business 14 years later. He didn't freeze in the face of failure. He kept going. And even as he keeps going, he's open and vulnerable about the possibility of failure. Brene Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and what that means. And she defines it as the combination of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. And I think being an entrepreneur, there is not a way to avoid that vulnerability. And so I think if you're going into it knowing that, hey, this is a part of it, that risk is there just by nature of being an entrepreneur, and that failure is a part of it, and that failure is okay. And I think being able to remind yourself and give yourself permission that it is okay to fail. It is okay for something to not go right. An added part of this conversation is community. It's quite difficult to be vulnerable if there aren't trusted people around you to be vulnerable with. People are a good reminder that your identity is much more than what you do. I think it's really important to have a support system and know who those people are, that who can be there to support you in the ups and downs that are a part of entrepreneurship who can see you for being more than just an entrepreneur. Um, That I think sometimes when you are experiencing that failure, you know, it can be really easy to kind of get stuck in that like black and white narrative and being able to reach out to people that can help remind you of 
who you are and what's important and why are you doing what you're doing. So all of this is for a purpose. Dismantling the mental roadblocks is so you can move forward. Perseverance is the goal. Because if you don't persevere, sure you won't fail, but you also won't succeed. I think the number one thing that most successful business owners and entrepreneurs have in common is they persevered through tough stuff over time and they didn't give up. And that's the like the, the number one virtue that's more important than the decision you're going to make on a daily basis every day. This whole conversation about failure was to get to the point where you can persevere. Sometimes our past failures haunt us and the fear of our future failures paralyze us. These obstacles that get in the way of moving forward are in our head. And I don't say that in a dismissive way. I say that in a very logical, factual way. This is the reason why mental health really is an important topic and was actually the bulk of this conversation. You have to acknowledge these obstacles are real in order to begin dismantling them and facing your fears. Doing this requires vulnerability, which brings this conversation full circle. And in the words of Brene Brown, Vulnerability is not weakness, and the uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure we face every day are not optional. Our only choice is a question of engagement. Our willingness to own and engage with our vulnerability determines the depth of our courage and the clarity of our purpose. My name is Latrell Brennan. I am a personal trainer and a freelancer for Trained by Trail. I think my biggest challenge has been like finding clientele, especially in a new city. So starting from scratch, it's always a little difficult. But I'm most proud of just having launched my business and you know just taking that leap of faith. And I really love what I do. I really enjoy encouraging people to begin a healthy lifestyle and really honor themselves by honoring their body and not thinking of movement or exercise as a chore, but really just embracing it as a form of self-love. And they can find me at Trained by Trail. That is Trained by T-R-E-L-L on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to be featured for Center Stage, there's a link on our website where you can record an introduction. Just go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. The I Make a Living podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. To learn more and get an exclusive offer, go to freshbooks.com slash podcast. If you want to attend an event, go to freshbooks.com slash events. Special thanks to Sam Rosen for his vulnerability on the topic of failure, and a second thanks to Michelle Horton for her insights on mental health. If you'd like to connect to either of these amazing individuals, you can find their contact information in our show notes. This podcast was made possible because of audio engineering and music composition by James Morris, co-production and direction by Paco Arismendi, and I'm Darby Masters. Thanks for listening to I Make a Living. 